right. Good morning. Uh, when Brian said you guys resolved the right note, who in here knew what he was talking about? Because that wasn't me. I was like, he wasn't looking at me. I, I actually sing in the key of off. So <laughs> sorry for those sitting in front of me. Um, I'm Jeff Oldham. I'm the executive pastor here at Melanie Park. And if you're new to Melanie Park, we're so glad that you guys joined us for worship this morning. Uh, we've been going through a series called Grace Upon Grace. And two weeks ago, I got the opportunity to share God's Word about how to devote daily. And what we talked about was this idea that devoting daily is not these five steps to a successful quiet time. I probably used different words at that time, but not, it's not those five steps. It's not just um, going through the motions. It's not my checklist of the things I do because I'm a follower of Jesus. The main portion of it was about how we linger with the Lord. It's responding to what he's already done. That's devoting daily. Last week, Todd talked about <clears throat> um, how to gather weekly and that the Bible calls us to that. He even used the illustration of an embassy where our words and our thoughts and our rhythms are a little different than the outside world. And when people walk into God's heavenly embassy, the church, it should look and feel differently. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of break that big church down into the small. We're going to talk about how to pursue relationally. And so we're taking this big idea of big church, corporate church, and we're going to look at what our kind of lives look like on an individual relationship level. And so before we jump in, I'm going to pray. My wife, uh, Amy, this is the Oldham show today, but the, no, may Christ be magnified, not the Oldhams. Um, before we jump in, I'd like to just calm my heart, get in rhythm with you guys and with the Holy Spirit, and just help him speak through me today. So let's pray. Um, Christ, may you be magnified. <laughs> not any human, but Lord, may your words penetrate the deepest places of our hearts. And so, Lord, help our hearts to get in rhythm with you. Just as Brian had said, it takes a moment for us to, um, to come into focus, to kind of get things on a plane where you can use us. So soften our hearts to hear from you this morning. May you be magnified in all things. Father, we pray this in the beautiful and wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so I want to start with a disclaimer this morning. Um, if you're new to Melanie Park or if you're kind of kicking the tires on Christianity, this is really a message that's more of a family message. Next week, Todd is going to talk about the, um, to, to uh, oh my gosh, I'll have to look at my notes. What is he going to talk about? Oh, engaged missionally, how we engage the world around us. And so, uh, this morning is more of an internal conversation. How our relationships look like as believers. Now, the principles we're going to talk about are good for any relationship, but these are really specific. So we're going to use language that's more specific to believers. And so if you're just trying this Christianity thing out, great. I'm so glad you're here. Let us love you well. But what you're going to do is just step into a family conversation as we talk about 
how we love each other, what that embassy looks like here on earth. And so um, we're going we're gonna to use God's word to inform what those relationships look like. Two questions we're going to try to answer today. Why should I pursue healthy Christian relationships? And if we get a good foundation that that's something that we should do, and everybody that follows Jesus is in here going, yeah, I think that's probably pretty prevalent. If we know that we're supposed to, then how do we do that well? And so I'm going to take just a short period of time to set up that first question. Uh, Why should I pursue Christian relationships? And so there's two reasons. And if you have your outline in front of you, on, there's a little card. You don't have to follow. You don't have to write anything down, but the, this is a good way kind of to follow this. There's two things that tell us why we should pursue Christian relationships. The first one, it's God's own design, period. This is kind of, I learned this late in my walk with Jesus, and I was kind of shocked by it. Let's look at a passage, I mean, a short verse. It's in Genesis. So from the very beginning... He shows, you, shows us that relationship is part of his design, community, to relate to others. And so it's in Genesis 1.26. If you've never seen this before, it can be shocking. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He uses plural pronouns. He didn't say, hey, let me make... I'm going to make God in my, I mean, man in my image. He uses plural, which he's, most biblical scholars believe that he's pointing to his relationship with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God has always lived in community. From the existence of time, whatever that means to God, he's always lived in community, not isolated. So by his own design, we are created for community from community. That's his design. It's pretty amazing. When I first saw that, I was like, he said our? (laughs) That's strange. Because I'd always heard we're made in God's image. God the Father. But he breaks it down into a relational piece. The second one is that our relationships are built into our DNA as Jesus followers. It's not only his design, but it's in our DNA. God pours out directives commands, invitations to pursue relationally, all through Scripture. The one place he does it is what we call one another verses, how we treat one another. So I've got a few kind of statistics on one anothering. So let's take a look at this. So roll that first slide if you have it. Um, One another is actually two words in English, but it's one word in Greek, a lelon, which is kind of cool. I I just thought that was a cool fact. I don't It has nothing to do with the sermon. But uh, one another is used 100 times in 94 uh, New Testament verses. 60% of those, that's important because we'll come back to that, 60% of those were instructions from Paul. Uh, Four of those are about kissing. Kiss one another. Now, I don't want to see making out going on in here. If you leave in the lobby, I don't want to see smooching going on. It's cultural. That was greeting them with a kiss. So if you've ever been to Europe and they kind of go... I think Marcus told a story about how many, how many Russians kissed him when he gave them a guitar. So it's a cultural thing about kissing. And so, but that is actually one of those one another commands is about kissing. All right, next slide. There's some themes that one another's have. The first one's unity. 
One-third of the one another commands deal with unity in the church. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble. Be of the same mind with one another. What's the next thing? Love. One-third of the one another passages are about love. Look at that. Love one another. See how many times that's actually there? John 13, 34 is actually a passage that says, I, a new command I give you. Jesus actually gives us a command. Further, it's actually in reflection to the Ten Commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. And I've actually done a study on this. Gone back through John and studied, how did Jesus love us? It's crazy. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. Then it says, uh, through love, serve one another. That's okay. Go into humility. And so a third theme, about 15% of the one another passages stress an attitude of humility or deference or service. Give preference to one another. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. All right, the last one. And then there's a smattering of kind of wide variety of these. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. If you don't believe that one, he says it again in a different way. Don't lie to one another. Boy, that'd make life good, wouldn't it? Encourage and build up one another. So as you can see, the one another passages are built into our DNA. And 60% of those are built in how Paul is reminding the church how to love one another, to get along with one another. And so I love as we're ambassadors in God's embassy here, he teaches us how to relate to one another. Uh, that old cliche phrase, and some of you may actually have that bracelet on today, what would Jesus do? Well, Google one another verses, and he'll tell you how to treat one another. It's kind of cool. Here's the problem, though. We don't always love one another well, do we? And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't. And I I think there's probably some root problems to this. There's a myriad of them. I think one could be, I'm not really sure about God's truest character. Or maybe I don't understand his love for me. The deep, deep love he has for me. Sometimes I think that's it. Maybe I have spiritual amnesia. Do you guys get that? To where you forget that I'm supposed to love my wife. (laughs) We just forget. And I think sometimes... Um, maybe that we, it hasn't been modeled for us. My opinion, though, just opinion, and I think we could probably flesh this out in Scripture, I think the core of this is that we don't think about God at all at times. I think we think about me. If we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's about my wants, my needs, my desires. The root problem in our relationships selfishness and pride. I mean, it's true, right? If we're really honest with ourselves. And so Paul, knowing this, remember 60% of his one another verses were reminding the church, how do you bear with one another? And he wants us to point us back to one, uh, the importance of it, the focal point of it, and then how to do that well. So we're going to look in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, get out your your Bibles. If you don't, the verses are going to be on on the screen. And we're going to look at one of Paul's letters to the book, to the church of Philippi, chapter 2. And he's going to give us some reminders. 
And he's going to ground us into this basis of why and how and the importance of pursuing each other relationally. So he begins in the very first of chapter 2. We're just going to look at this pretty quickly. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, super important, that first part super important. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, I hope this, the words of this Holy Spirit speak to us. hope this washes over us. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. That means if we have an ounce, an ounce of us in Christ, he says, listen, let's settle our hearts this morning. He's talking to us from the ancient of days. He's talking to us this morning here at Melanie Park. If you have any, any smoldering embers of our love for Christ, Position your heart this morning. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. One mind for what? Being in Christ. You go back and look at, and he says, so if there, he's talking about the first chapter of Philippians where he is in prison, writing a letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, and he says this term. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying my whole identity, my whole identity, all that I am is in Christ. And if you have any ember of that this morning, be of one mind. Settle our hearts. He's setting the stage. Here's why. Because it's like the first button of a shirt. If our identity is not in Christ, we're going to be terrible uh, in our relationships. We're not going to be very good husbands or wives. We're going to be pretty terrible friends. We'll be pretty j- j- janky as employees because if we don't get that button right, and I'm not going to try to illustrate this, but if I came this morning and I didn't have this vest on and I start that first button and I'm like, perfect, boom, 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 button, 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 button. And I, I'm like, I look pretty good. What would happen though? I get that button wrong. <laughs> And I put that thing in, and I'm like, oh, whatever. Boom, boom, boom. And my shirt's all jacked up. You guys would be going, I don't think I want to listen to that guy. He looks a little wacky. So if we don't get that first button right, we look a little wacky to the world around us. That first button, the very primary, the foundation, is that we must find ourselves in Christ. Our identity must come from him, not from us. And it positions every relationship as we go through. So once we get that button right, there's a two kind of uh, two part dynamic that happens. Now we're going to start to talk about, well, how do we do that? And it's in the posture. I'm going to say this probably 50 times today. Posture and practice of Jesus. The posture and the practice of Jesus. So what do you mean by posture, Jeff? Well, I'm glad you asked, Adam. So, posture, verse 3, um, Paul continues to remind us what this looks like. If this isn't shocking to us, or at least kind of unhinged us from ourselves this morning, I don't know what else to do. And it's not about me anyway. 
May Christ be magnified through his word. But check this out. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Whoa. Uh, Jeff, I've heard this. I've heard this. I've heard this sermon before. Don't be selfish. I mean, that's, that's in Christ. I'm not supposed to be selfish. Listen, I, I'm a pastor here. I'm not perfect by any means, and the, my fellow pastors and those of you who know me know exactly how weird I can be. But I'm a pastor, so I should be exemplifying. I should be one of the top ambassadors, right? I tried this for two weeks. I've been thinking about this, and I've tried to think, how much of me is self, and how much of me is Jesus? And there's this battle going on in all of us. So I was thinking through every little situation I've gone through the last two weeks. I am selfish when I am not in Christ, when I am not tied to the things that are good and healthy for me. I am incredibly selfish, even when it looks like I'm not being. The revelation of my wicked heart can be really disorienting. I would love for you guys to do this this next week. Really think through how much of this is my wanting what I want in my relationships, my marriage, my friendships, my work relationships. It's amazing. So Paul, in his, in his wisdom through the work of the Holy Spirit, reminds us, do nothing in selfish ambition, but in humility, posture. Count others more than significant as yourself, practice. Every Christian relationship should start with a posture of humility. And I'll show you why here in a second. Because then he goes on in verse 4 to say, let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Practice. So in my posture of humility, because of who Christ is in me, I can humbly walk into a relationship and I can think they're just as important or more important than I am. So breathe. Ralph Waldo Emerson, a, a secular author, actually said this as well. Everyone I meet in some way is my superior and that I can learn from them. Even a secular author sees the beauty of this idea of a posture of humility. Now, I would be, if I'm sitting where you are, I'd be asking the question, okay, but how can every relationship look through that lens? And I think I'm going to call out the introverts in the room, not because you need to be picked on, but I, this, I, it's an inclination. I think many introverts don't pursue relationally most of the time because they've been hurt. And so you may be asking, how, how am I supposed to look through those lenses like that? How am I supposed to look at the lens of my marriage? You don't know how hurt I've been. You don't know what so-and-so did to me. It's hard to let go. It's hard to forgive. Walking into a relationship with a humble heart many times is not easy. And honestly, if we take the posture of humility, we expose ourselves. I don't like to get up here and preach. But in humility, I think, I'll, I'll do it because you prepare me. It's not my words. It's exposing. 
this is the other thing. You may feel like, if, man, if I, if I approach relationships with humility, I'm going to get walked on. I'm going to feel like a doormat. Doesn't it, does that resonate? Man, if I, if I, seriously, if I, really, if I serve people and I don't have their, their, my interest as the primary, and I'm really looking after their interests, I'm going to get walked on. I'm going to let you into a little secret. When we walk the walk of Jesus, we will be taken advantage of. And it's okay. And I'm going to show you why. Paul does this beautiful thing. He ties relationship into the work of Christ. Check this out. Go on to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Think about these things is what he's saying. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember? First button. Our identity must be in Jesus first. Then he says, who he who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What? That's Jesus. He's God. As he subjects himself in humility to God the Father. And check this out. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant posture being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, sees he's in heaven. He has everything that at his feet, everything. He is in control, perfectly sovereign, never has a problem to worry about. He looks at his children and he's, he's, he's brokenhearted, but he sees them as pure because he's pure. He sees all these things, the wonderful natures of heaven, everything at his feet, and he leaves. And he walks in our mess. 2,000 years ago, he landed on earth in an act of humility because he loves us that deeply. Take this. See if you can run every relationship in this point of view as they're nailing his hands to the cross. As they're nailing his feet to the cross and they stand the cross up with every intention of killing Jesus, they are taking his life. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He was perfectly pure, never sinful. And yet he looks down at them and says, forgive them. Can we walk in relationship to other people that way? Every single relationship? Because it changes the way we think and do things. And so though his death on the cross gives us life, he also gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit who guides us. When my posture is centered in Christ's humility, it's so much easier for me to forgive people. It's so much easier for me to walk in relationships and not expect something. Because there are three types of relationships that I can think of. They're either uh, parasitic, where only I benefit, and the other person dies. And there's lots of marriages that can be like that, maybe even in this room. There can be mutualistic, where both benefit. And that sounds better, right? Okay, we both benefit. The problem with mutualistic is normally it's a conditional relationship. I'll do this as long as you do this. I'll wash the dishes as long as you cook. That's actually the uh, 
relationship my wife and I have. So uh, it's, it works pretty good. She's a great cook, and I'm okay at washing dishes, so I get the benefit. Maybe it's parasitic. I don't know. Uh, but mutualistic is, is, is a conditional. The only other one that I know is altruistic. I step into this relationship and I don't have any expectations that I get anything from you. Jesus went to the cross for us as an altruistic, the only truly altruistic uh, move. He died for us. And he asked us to step into relationships in the same way. And so in my pride, I try to fix people. In my humility, I posture in a place where I want to help them. Not beyond what they can be helped, and it's not me doing all the helping. It's by the work of God. Let's see, because Paul keeps writing, and he reminds us, this isn't about us. It's a, verse 9 says, Therefore, God has been highly exalted and bestowed on him, the name that is above every name. This is about Jesus. We just sang the song, Christ be magnified. Not Jeff be magnified. Not Brian be magnified. Not Todd be magnified. But Christ be magnified. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Under, and under earth. And every, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I love this because then I, it takes the pressure off of me that I have to fix people. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Justice is his, guys, not ours. We can step back and breathe. We can walk in relationships with a posture of humility because life gets messy. And so we have to step in with the identity in Christ, not in Jeff. In Jeff is selfish. I tested it the last two weeks. It's not pretty. And Paul keeps going in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, love that word, to be loved. Practice as you have always obeyed. So now, not only in the presence, but much more in my absence. This is a weird verse. So I want to try to explain it the best I can. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the truth is, is that he's not really asking us to work out our salvation. That was his work on the cross. Nothing we did, only by grace. He died so that we can be reconciled and redeemed to, a, to our Father. That was his work. So what is he talking about here? It's got to be in the form of sanctification. He's saying, once you've been saved, once you've been justified you got to work it out. We have to engage this. We have to pursue relationally. And it could be messy. With fear and trembling, we walk into relationships that aren't always perfect. And it's okay. Because look at the next verse. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Two things that relieve pressure from me in every single relationship. Three things. I'm in Christ. First button. Second one is that I don't have to fix people. I can help them. I point them to 
the one that can. That's all my relationships are about. We sat down with my, our kids just recently, about six or seven months ago, and I asked this question periodically. Are we doing okay as parents? That's a dangerous question. Because <laughs> your kids might go, <laughs> you guys are really blowing it. But our middle daughter said, Dad, when we were little, anytime we had an issue, you would sit down and listen with us, mom and dad, and we would tell you what's going on, and you wouldn't always answer our question. I'm like, is this a good thing? Is, it, are you going to, is this positive? You, you don't always answer our question. But what you do is you always pointed us to Jesus. And as a kid, that was highly irritating. That's what she said. <laughs> Get some gospel. I don't know. <laughs> she says, as an adult, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for pointing me to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Because, Dad, you can't fix my problems. He can. Dad, you can't, you can't tell me all the wisdom to navigate this relationship, but he can. He's that amazing. He died on a cross. Boom, 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 boom. Forgive them. Forgive them. So three things. My, my identity in Christ. I don't have to fix anybody. And the last one, it's his work. It's not my work. But what does this practically look like? Because this is as a family meeting, we all kind of know this. It's theoretical in its nature until it actually, until we work it out with fear and trembling. So what does it look like? And so I started praying about this. And the cool thing is pastors here at MP, uh, Melanie Park, we get to see this a lot. We get to see where it's broken a lot of times, but we also get to see when it's not. When people take on the posture and practice of Jesus. And as I'm praying about this, I get a phone call from my friend, Dana Sweet. Many of you guys probably know Dana. He's a sweet guy. <laughs> that was pun. All right, so he's this really cool guy. And he calls me and he says, I was convicted by Todd's message last week. And what Todd asked us to do was, if you haven't seen anybody in a little while, give him a call. Text him. Connect with him pursued them relationally. So Dana did. What he found out is the person he called, he hadn't seen in a few weeks because they had COVID and had been trapped in their house for a little while. Just needed some prayer. They were doing okay, but they needed, prayer would be good. So Dana calls and said, could you put them on the prayer list? He humbly took a little time, reached out to someone and connected them back to God's people and God's word. Something simple. So this morning, I have lots of, lots of examples of that. But a little caveat here. I'm going to use people's names. Not because they are going to be glorified. We just saw that. Whose name is above all names? Jesus's, not ours. So when I use these people's names, this is not to the glory of these people. Yes, second thing is in our selfish hearts, we want our name called out. Take a deep breath. 
it's okay if I don't call your name out. <laughs> it's all right. I, I don't mean to slight anybody in here. There's hundreds, please listen, hundreds and hundreds of beautiful things that go on here every week that we don't see. Praise God, not us. So if I don't mention you, that's okay. But I do want to give you some examples. When someone's hurting and life just stinks, I've seen the Huddlestons, Hud and Lisa, step into messy places. When somebody just needs a person to listen to, I've seen Sherry McAlpine, Ashley Beatty, just listen. Tell me your story. When someone is alone, just needs someone to talk to, I've seen Nick and Sandy Sanders. Nick actually spent the day with a, a person that's been kind of in their home because of some sickness. Just watched a football game with them. Gwen Sharp and Sharon Smith are beautiful at this. When there's ladies in our church that are alone, they step in. Just general needs. Man, our deacons, our deacon ministry never, ever ask for anything. They just serve. Michael Haverdink, Michael Etheridge, Tom Wise, Nick Sanders, Glenn Frick. I've seen Glenn take groceries to someone. I've seen Scott and Gina Sims do the same. When there was somebody new to MPC, I'm on the welcome team, so I walk that person in and I introduce them to someone in our family. They're not even on the welcome team. I just say, hey, this is Amanda Wade. And the lady introduces herself. Amanda talks for a little while. I go back out and do what I do best and greet people, not engaging, <laughs> pursuing relationally. <laughs> Amanda sits down with her, talks with her, takes her and gets a cup of coffee, and then sits with her in the pew. And you're thinking, was that really that big of a deal? You know what I would have done? Hey, if you need a cup of coffee, we have a coffee bar. <laughs> How many times have we done that? Instead of walking that person back. When I posture, when I have the posture and the practices of Jesus, I step into the messiest lives around. When something hard happens, when somebody's wandering away from God's path, men are elders. Todd Sapisa. Mark Hardy, uh, oh my gosh, Doug McAlpine, and Carrie Gilbert. I almost, <laughs> I just got fired. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know their names, somewhat. They are men that posture and practice the things of Jesus. I know we can get irritated at our church at times because it moves slow but they do it on purpose because they seek God's best, not people's best, but God's best. And I've watched them deal with the hardest things at Melanie Park. Hard. Lives are messy. And our elders step into those places. They pray. They seek God. They look into his word. They commune with each other and they listen to the Holy Spirit and then they take action. That's the kind of leaders 
that are here at Melanie Park. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Hundreds of things are going on that I don't ever notice, that I don't ever see. And no one ever gives a pat on the back. But I've learned to praise in uh, public and counsel in private. So praise God for the saints in this room that have stepped into these places that are messy. There's four things I think we could do. Four real quick ones. First one is prayer. These are just four things, four ways of posture and practice. Prayer. We can't will humility into us. We have to pray that God allows humility through Jesus' work to us. Humility is given to us in Christ, period. I'm not humble because I'm humble. I'm humbled a lot because I'm not. Only by prayer are we access the things of the Lord to experience. That's part of that daily devotion. And then praying for others as well. It's dis placing from me. When John the Baptist was walking along the road with a couple of his disciples and Jesus passes in front of him and he says, I must become less so they, that he can become more. That is the posture and practice of a follower of Jesus. First one's prayer. Second one's pursue. We've got to look for opportunities to step into these messy places with a heart of humility, understanding that we will be taken advantage of at times. I love this verse uh, from 2 Thessalonians 2.8. It says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, point them to Jesus, but our, also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. I can only see you guys through the lens that God gives me because he gives it to me. And so I have to pursue these relationships and not just tell people about the gospel, but share our lives with each other. That's what small groups are for. If you're not in a small group, email me. I'll get you, I'll get you hooked up. Men's and women's ministry. Friday night, I heard was the bomb. <laughs> Soup and cornbread. I tried to sneak in. They said no. <laughs> but I heard it was a great event. And it wasn't this massive, all right, we're going to talk about the 10, 10 principles of justification. They just sat and ate and talked, shared life. Men's ministry. If you haven't signed up for the men's breakfast, come sit down with a group of men that are just trying to figure this out, walking in the posture and practice of Jesus. We're, going to, we're starting a care team here where we have a list of people that we know have needs. And this care team is going to reach out to them and make sure that no one falls through the cracks. Thursday morning's Bible study, 6.30. Come join us. If you just want to do one on your own, we're doing an equipping class next Sunday. Or be real simple. Take someone to coffee. Ask someone to lunch. Be a friend. Listen. Don't try to fix people. Ask them the hard questions and then listen. Third point is be patient. This includes our enemies. 
forgiveness, be patient. And the last one is point. So prayer, pursue, patient, and point. Point, point our spouses, our kids, our friends, and family to the one who saves. That's a posture and practice of our Jesus. I don't know what else to tell you other than when he died on the cross and he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit through our faith in him, he gave us a Holy Spirit that speaks. And his desire is for all of us to press in and pursue relationally. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to speak of you, that you be magnified. God, may every heart in here that knows you, may they desire to pursue you first, find our identity in you, and then take on the postures of your son and the practices of your son because the world around us is desperately needing it. So God, help us. Father, we praise you and love you in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.